Welcome to the Countryside Alliance's new podcast series, in which we will be speaking to luminaries from the world of hunting, shooting or fishing. This week, your host is me, Polly Portwin, the Alliance's Head of Hunting Campaigns. Our topic of conversation today is the hunting horn. We will be discussing its history, the use of the horn, the music of the horn, and you may even be able to pick up a few tips about horn blowing. I would just like to point out that this episode was recorded using Zoom technology during lockdown, which my eminent guests fear may not produce the best quality sound recordings of their exemplary horn blowing. My apologies to the guests and to those listening in if the notes are not as crisp as they might be on the hunting field. However, I hope you will appreciate the limitations of this production. Today I am joined by Patrick Martin and Andrew Salas. Patrick has enjoyed a long and successful career in hunt service, including 23 seasons as Huntsman of the Bisterwith Wadden Chase, where I was also a joint master for 11 seasons. Since his retirement, Patrick has been sharing his knowledge and expertise in his capacity as the Hunt Staff Liaison Officer for the Hunting Office. Hi there, my name is Patrick Martin, a retired Huntsman from the Bisterwith Wadden Chase. Started my career in hunt service as second weapon to the RA Foxhounds when I was still in the army. Then went up to Scotland to the Linlithgow in Stirlingshire, Barclay for 11 seasons, and I did 23 seasons at the Vista and Warden Chase. Also joining us today is Andrew Salis, joint master of the Kimberwick and former teacher of composition with a passion for music, who was also the producer of the Countryside Rally in 1997. I am currently joint master and huntsman of the Kimberwick Hunt. I started out my hunting career in Leicestershire and when at University at Cambridge I had the privilege of hunting the Trinity Foot Beagles. There followed uh, a time working for the Bridgefield Sports Society that then became the Countryside Alliance when I was producer back in 1997 of the Countryside Rally. After a few years as a uh, professional teacher as a a teacher of uh, composition and music. I became joint master and huntsman of the South and West Wilts. There followed the Isle of Wight, and then a couple of years uh, uh, living in France, where we hunted with a a wide variety of packs. Then we moved to Sussex, where I was joint master and huntsman of the Sussex and Romney Marsh for a decade before moving to Kimberwick three years ago. Thank you. Andrew, um, as a composer, what is it about the hunting horn that interests you the most? Well, it's a very simple instrument that can command attention of, um, of hounds, of horses, and probably most importantly, of humans. Uh, it, it only really has one note, but in the, uh, in the hands or at the, at the lips, of uh, a skilled practitioner with some imagination, it really should be uh, a a thrilling element uh, to to, to hunting. And as a result of that, um, has influenced so many other uh, art forms over the years. Patrick, as a skilled horn blower, tell us a bit about your history. I, I understand that you've had three victories in the national horn blowing competition tell us a bit about that yeah that that um that really for me was sort of the the, the pinnacle of what you can do with a hunting horn um to appear 
when it used to be in London, uh, we used to have it at the Dorchester and we had it at the Grosvenor. Anyway, it was for the, the competition is for the Dorian Williams um, Horse and Hound Challenge Trophy, which was first blown for in 1952, uh, um, went up until 2002 um, and there've been 51 winners for that. Used to be amateur and professional now, uh, I run it and we just invite 10 people uh, from Foxhounds, Beagles, Harriers, anybody who hunts a pack of hounds or a kennel huntsman. Um, and the most important thing for me is that we're, we're keeping up the standard of horn blowing around the country um, with amateurs and professionals because it is such an important part of a day's hunting. Um, as Albert Buckle used to say about it, it is known as nine inches of pure pleasure when a horn's blown properly, but when it's not blown properly, it's known as nine inches of pure terror. So what we have to make sure that the standard of horn blowing is kept up in the countryside. Um, it is one of the 10 most recognizable sounds. And it's very important to me, as much as having a pack of hounds that speak well, is having a huntsman who blows his horn well. It, it really is part of the music of the countryside and that, that thrilling sound along with uh, the, the cry of the hounds should set their the hairs up on the back of your neck. I remember a few years ago, Patrick, you kindly invited me to take part in the uh, horn blowing competition uh, at the, the, the horse and hound or the horn and hound uh, uh, ball. It was without doubt one of the most terrifying nights of my life. And uh, the green room beforehand, I was, I was in there with nine other uh, huntsmen ranging from the ages of uh, probably about 21 to um, uh, recently retired huntsman of the uh, the uh, Beaufort, whose age I, I shouldn't disclose, but he looked whiter than anybody, and he hadn't touched a drop of alcohol until uh, the competition was over, and and we were all we were all mighty relieved. Uh, Patrick, with the horn blowing competitions that um, take place across the countryside, um, which are the two um, horn calls that you tend to ask the huntsman to blow? We always ask for gone away and going home. Um, gone away is a thrilling sound, obviously, as the pack of hands leave the cover, and going home is the long, drawn out call at the end of the day. I do always say in the green room, as Mr. Salis calls it, um, to take a breath between gone away and going home, as in the very first time we did it in 2014, the second contestant blew himself unconscious and fell off the stage. So I do try to ask them to make sure they take a breath because um, as he led on the floor at the bottom of the stage, he looked up at me and asked me what had happened. And I said, you've passed out. And he said, I couldn't have. And I said, well, why are you down there? So anybody that blows a hunting horn should always remember, especially with a long call, that you can actually blow yourself out of oxygen. So always make sure your lungs are full because there is no worse sight than anybody passing out, having finished a day and blown their horn. Um, blowing a horn on a horse is obviously different to blowing it on your feet. Um, obviously, if you're running around beagling or whatever, it you know it takes a lot more puff because you might be out of puff. On a horse is a whole different thing because the horse is moving and you're moving with it. But the technique is is the same where you actually have to not let all the air come out your lungs uh, at once. Um, but I think at the end of this, we were going to go through and um, have a little lesson and just try and explain to people what to do and what not to do and hopefully that will help them to master the art of blowing a hunting horn. Patrick I think we probably need a little demonstration now of gone away and going home with a breath in between please. Just to explain that the gone away there are different ways of doing blowing a horn for different calls most of them are the same but at the end of the day if you blow the same thing then the hounds and the field and the people will understand what you're blowing 
There is no set way of doing this, and there are various different types of gone away. Going home is a long drawn out note because you are obviously going home. In the days of Clarence Johnson and Charlie Johnson, when they were coming off the train at Finmere and they got to the top of the hill by the kennels, um, Charlie Johnson always said his father said it should sound like, coming home, Ned, coming home, coming home, Ned, coming home. He said, and all the dogs in the village would bark, the strappers would run out, all the staff would be there. But that was how he described it. And the gone away, again, is a, is a, is a thrilling sound. But again, there are different ways of doing it. So anybody listening, this is not the only way to do it. This is just one of the ways. One way of doing it. It cannot, and it can actually be used with doubling the horn. Some huntsmen will blow this. Some huntsmen will blow that. But again, as long as it's the same. But again, it, it, we can do the little lesson now. All it is with this, is listening to this blowing a horn, is the pressure you put on the air from the back of your neck, through your stomach, up through your lips. Because it can start off, and or if you let all the air out of your lungs, it sounds like this. And even the biggest, strongest, fittest, six-foot rugby-playing man will probably do that if he can't blow one, because all the air is coming out at once, and it's a question of just being able to control it. And if you practice by putting your finger on your lip and just half spitting and half push blowing into it, and it sounds a bit like... That gets you used to what you're actually doing. But the, the main thing is to get one note out of it, not to get too elaborate with it. So you start off, and once the air starts to go, instead of going... Letting it all out, you start letting it controlling it. As you increase the pressure on the on the blowing, it's not the easiest. People put them in their cars. People go under the stairs. But if you want to practice on a horn at home, and you've got two horns, put them end to end. You can then blow at full pressure, and you won't upset your neighbours or your mother, your father, your sister, your wife, your dog, anything. It's, it's when you can put full pressure. If you're trying to half blow a horn, you never get the right effect with it. So if you put two horns bell to bell, end to end, you can blow it as long as you like, um, under the cupboard, under the stairs. And also when you're under the stairs, any hunt staff are listening, practice talking through your nose. Do it under the stairs, that's what I had to do. Hold your nose, so when you're talking to hounds, it's a very joyful, get on, Horrid. When you don't want to talk and they want them back, bang, hold your nose, bang. Just a little tip. But just, just, just like any uh, musical performance um, that, that, is, that, that requires the, the voice or wind, the whole thing is about controlling the diaphragm. And it, you, you, you need to ha have the air in your, in your lungs and using the muscles in your chest and your lungs and the diaphragm not to release, as Patrick says, um, every, everything at once, um, so that it then comes up then through the lips um, and, um, and down the horn. Now, I, I, I would say that you blow raspberries down the horn. You, you say about put, put, putting your finger on your lips and piercing it. Another way is to say, um, is to say that you blow raspberries. And another key tip is never to puff your cheeks because it, it, it harbours air in, in the chamber, in your mouth, and it hurts. And the, there's no reason why you should blow your blood vessels uh, in your cheeks when actually you're controlling it. You shouldn't be controlling it from your cheeks. You should be controlling it 
um, from, from, your, from your diaphragm. Is there any particular type of horn that um, is easier to blow or you'd recommend for somebody starting off horn blowing? Or what did you both well, learn? I mean, um, don't blow a reed horn for, for, for a start um, and, and find yourself a proper hunting horn made by a reputable maker rather than an ornamental hunting horn. You can pick up ornamental hunting horns in antique shops for, for, for 10 quid. But, but you're not going to learn how to play the hunting horn on those because um, inside the, the mouthpiece, there will be a hole that goes into the, into the horn itself, but it, it won't be a smooth um, uh, entry from the mouthpiece into the horn. It, the, it, 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 it's a, there's a, a, an edge and that will, not, that will not produce the right reverberations. So you need a proper mouthpiece on a proper horn. Now the mouthpiece on an on a, on a English hunting horn is derived from the French horn, not, not just the trump, but from the, the, the actual concert instrument. It's, it's, far, it, it's similar to the French horn. It's nothing like the trumpet, the trombone, the tuba, um, or the cornet. Um, it's a much more elegant mouthpiece. And that would come from the fact that it, it is derived from from the French. And when I went uh, uh, when I went to H school, and I wanted to learn a musical instrument. Uh, an old nagsman in Leicestershire said that uh, a nephew of his once learned the French horn because that was the, the closest to the English hunting horn. Um, so, aged ten, that's why the French horn became my orchestral instrument. What's the difference with the types of horn? Obviously. They all. Uh, what's the musical notes they're playing? D. Is that right? I, I, I believe. I believe so. Mr. Salis would, would. I was never actually taught anything about notes or anything. I just practiced and blew it. But the different types of horn. Um, the, the first thing to stress, obviously, as Mr. Salis says, is buy yourself a decent horn, whether it's a, a Henry Keat horn or a second-hand horn from a dealer, one that was made by um, Kohler's, Keats, or was marketed through Swain and Aidney. Um, but it is the mouthpiece that will suit the lips. Um, the difference in the types of the horn, there's the, the Countess of Lonsdale, which has got a very small bell, which Keats now produce and call the Barclay. There's the Cotswold, which Keats now produce and call it the Beaufort. And then there's the, the, the Woodland horns, the Goodall and the Littleworth. And then a horn that I have that was um, my wife's great grandfather, Jack Scarrett at the Barclay, was called an Arkwright, which has got a longer ferrule. Um, but again, it is very much down to personal choice the mouthpiece being vitally important i think to suit someone's lips and again it's not a question of making your lips sore and blowing and blowing and blowing it's just practicing gradually to get your lips hard and getting used to just blowing one note as mr Le as mr salish just said the diaphragm pushing the air out rather than the, the cheeks pushing the air out it's it's a difficult thing to master um, but when you have mastered it you can have an awful lot of fun with a hunting horn um, blown well, there is no finer sound um, in the countryside and at, a, at people's funerals when I'm asked to blow, it's a very fitting end to any hunting person's life for them to blow the horn um, at the service. Um, and it's a very moving sound. Um, and I think it's, for me, as long as I'm alive, I would always try and push it and maintain as high a standard as we can amongst um, our staff in the countryside who are hunting hands, whether amateur or professional, that it's done properly because it's very important to dress properly have the hands and the horses turn out well and yourself turn out well but also blow your horn well going back to the types of horn um the physical you know the, the look of the hunting horn obviously we've got the made from copper nickel and silver 
And what is the significance of the bands around the hunting horn? Is that to do with strength or is it anything to do with the pitch? It's, 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 it strengthens the horn um, and, and that in itself would give a little uh, de more depth to the tone possibly. Um, but, but principally the bands would strengthen the horn. So um, uh, if it were to end up underneath you or the horse or a stone or up against a gate, it should withstand a, a, a little more pressure. We have had agree, some Patrick? stories about um, hunting horns getting bent. Uh, have you had any incidents with the hunting horn? Can they recover? Hunting horns can be flattened as, as flat as a shoehorn. A huntsman's horse I used to work for one day took off going through a gate. The horse took off, he was opening the gate, and uh, the hounds took off after the horse, came back, with the hounds and his horse, and the horse has stood on his horn and it was as flat as a shoehorn. But all you do is you ring up Mr. Compton at Henry Keats and you can send it away and it will come back looking like new. So it doesn't matter what's happened, it can be bent in half, it can be flattened. And as one huntsman, uh, when I was in the army in London, asked me to take his horn back to London to have it fixed. And uh, I asked him what had happened to him and he said he shot it with a 32. So the wonderful gentleman in Mr. Pinchmeck in Swainay and he said, um, Mr. Martin, what has happened to the horn? I said, a huntsman shot it with his 32. Oh dear, he said, is the gentleman all right? I said, yes, the gentleman's fine. The horn was fixed and back in service. So no matter what you do to a horn, it can be fixed. Mouthpieces can be changed. Uh, bands can be put on them. Some where it's split down, the joints can be fixed. So never fear if your favorite horn gets injured or damaged, it can be mended. Andrew, have you got any tales to tell uh, about? My, the, the, the horn that I've used every day for the last um, days hunting for the last 17 years um, is, is rather bent. Um, I was generously given it when I retired from the, uh, the South and West Wales. It's a, it's a nickel horn, nickel banded horn um, from Keats, um, uh, a Beaufort one. Um, and my horns do get... Um, rather in the habit of getting bent um, and I did get it straightened out I didn't really think it made too much difference to the sound but one or two of my subscribers um, th thought it was just too amusing uh, for words so I did get it straightened out it cost me a small fortune I think I could have bought a new horn for the magic cost to get straightened out and within a month or two it was back to the same shape again so I've sort of given up now um, but it's the it's the one I, I use every day I've got another one that's um, nickel banded uh, copper horn, um, which is exactly the same, um, so same mouthpiece, um, same horn, but um, most huntsmen um, have a few superstitions and I just like using this one. Have either of you had any experience of losing your hunting horn on a hunting day? Well, how have you managed if you have? I lost one on a verge once and never found it. So yeah, is it, I, I would be mortified if I lost this horn. Um, but I think that's why um, most huntsmen after, after years would have a, have a small collection of, of hunting horns and there probably will be horns that they'll never take hunting um, for, for family reasons or um, they were given under very, very special circumstances or historical reasons and you just wouldn't want to risk uh, losing it. Mm. Patrick? Well, no, I never, I mean, I've dropped a horn on, on certain days, but, but fortunately always found it. But um, there was a season when Albert Buckle um, asked me if I would use his hunting horn. 
um, silver horn, which um, had been repaired many times. He said, and don't worry if it gets broken, just give it to the masters and they'll pay to get it fixed. And I had to remind Mr. Buckle that it wasn't quite that era when the masters would fix your horn like that. But um, I, that was the horn that I used. I did drop it one day. And I mean, honestly, your, your heart goes. I mean, you just go into palpitations because Albert's favorite horn, but that was the horn that I used um, at the Countryside Rally in 1997 to blow with the French horn blowers on the stage. So it's a, it's, a very, it's a very famous horn. It's a wonderful thing. And I think it made Albert very proud of the fact that um, I did use it for a season with the Vista. But every day, honestly, I think I felt like tying a bit of string around it because if I'd lost that, I'd have been gone finished. Albert would never have spoken to me again. So let's talk about the communication with the hounds and the, the, hunt, uh, the field on a hunting day. Andrew, do you want to talk about the significance of that? Well, the, the horn is all about communication, um, where, and whether it's between the, uh, the, the huntsman and his staff, or the huntsman and the uh, mounted field, or, or any followers for, 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 that, for that matter or uh, the, the huntsman and his hound. Of course, going back centuries, the original um, idea, the original concept of the horn, the original use of the horn, were, was nothing to do with the hounds. It was all about communication between people, um, be it on the battlefield or out hunting. So when the horn literally was a horn, an animal's horn, and then going forward into when it was made out of different metals, um, the, 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 the fanfares, the, 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 the uh, the motifs, the, the calls on the horn, they, they were principally uh, a method of communication, of informing uh, uh, other people out hunting, other interested parties um, uh, with the, of the progress of the hunt. Um, wh whether it was um, a, a signal that, some, that the quarry had been found or the signal of triumph, but principally they were between the people. And then only as, as time went on, did the hunting horn increasingly become a means of communication to the hounds. Um, if you think of uh, hunting in France, um, uh, so many people carry a horn out hunting, a tromp uh, around, their, around their shoulders. Um, anyone who has um, got their permis de chasse and is a bouton, um, a member of the hunt, um, can, is entitled to carry a horn and they're not all responsible for the hounds. So the, uh, um, but then moving on to, into English hunting, obviously um, the, the idea to an English huntsman of everybody out hunting having a horn is, is, is terrifying. Um, and luckily, um, when we have French friends over, I do have to explain there is just one person out hunting with the horn and that's me. And they, they, they look as if it sounds a bit moderate, but anyway, we all have a um, different systems. Um, but, but for that reason, um, our, our horn nowadays is used much more for communicating um, with the hounds. We hope that the ladies and gentlemen understand uh, what the different horn calls mean. Um, we can't be certain at times. Um, and uh, a, a little uh, evening now and again um, ca can act as a bit of education. But, but the hounds um, do understand the principle of it, and that is the, the, the more excited the call, the shorter the notes, the more staccato, the more frequency, um, the, 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 the faster the call, um, more excitement uh, is, is in store or, or about to happen. And the long drawn out calls, the more mournful calls signify the pace uh, reducing either a, a blank cover or the end of the day. So it's, it's very simple musical gestures. 
fast notes, excitement, the thrill of the chase, long calls, the day is over. I think that's an, an ideal opportunity for us to have some demonstrations of uh, some horn blowing. Um, okay. I don't know who wants to uh, do what or when, but I, I know Patrick, we've already had gone away and going. We haven't had going home from you, have we? Um, no, Mr. Salas couldn't. I think, Mr. Salas, I think we ought to um, get a little bit of excitement into the operation. And um, we are obviously talking about hunting within the law. Things have changed. You've both hunted hounds um, before the Hunting Act came into force. And uh, now we are hunting uh, legally within the law, as you would expect. Um, trail hunting, it's, it's very different to the original quarry hunting. But um, the, the many of the horn calls are still, you know, the horn calls are still the same, and um, they in, they're interpreted as they uh, were once before. And if the hounds have found, for example, they found their trail, they're on the scent. Andrew, let's get excited about the fact that um, hounds have gone away from the cover, and we're we're on the move. He will um, double his horn. So that call uses a combination of double tonguing and treble tonguing. You can hear the the second one, that's triple tonguing, which is just um, a, a, a little faster. <laughs> um, um, aside for your, uh, from your talents of horn blowing, we do know that you have a a natural talent for blowing alternative hunting calls so perhaps you could give us a demonstration of um something you I, one of your party pieces just to show I, the, the beauty of the hunting horn I, I do think this is again very important part of it that you can have some fun with it it's not got to be all serious everything in life is serious but there's got to be some fun and i think with 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 what i do with the police are and, and laurel and hardy and that it's just trying to promote the hunting horn as being not just an object that you hear on a hunting field that, that it can actually have a little bit of fun at parties in the evening um the police siren arrived from back when we used to um back in the 90s um see the um officers of the of the of the land coming across the fields and i just found one day that they had their sirens and i didn't have mine so this is what i learned to blow That was just, and again, it's having the fun with a hunting horn. It's not all about being serious. So it's, it's used on a day. Um, it's a very important tool in a huntsman's, either for him on a horse, either with his voice or a horn. But again, have some fun with it. It is there to be enjoyed um, by anybody. Once you've mastered it, you can have a really good lot of fun with it. And blown well, it means something, and it means a lot to an awful lot of people, which people shouldn't forget. And, and you raise a good point there. I, I know those are novelty items, um, but the, the the variation in the tone uh, and the variation in the pitch um, is just created by different pressures through the lips, um, through widening and and closing the lips, and through and through and through different pressures. And that is another uh, technique that needs to be mastered by any student uh, of the hunting horn. Do you do you ever do you ever have people who come and ask you to teach them or show them how to blow it or or people I think yeah. a lot of people are sometimes frightened to ask but I think it's very important that that those of us that that either have used or do use a hunting horn 
make it accessible because a lot of people are frightened to ask. Um, but they've all yeah. probably got a hunting horn that was their grandfather's or on a, on a sideboard somewhere. And um, I think it's, uh, it's, we're all sort of duty bound. I was shown as blow one that, that we pass on our knowledge to um, the next generation. And, and it's always fun when you take hounds to Pony Club camp in the summer. We do a rally at uh, Kennels to collect all the hunting horns from everybody at Kennels and take, and, and take them yeah. so that you can have a little competition and uh, well, a little tutorial and, and, and have a little fun. And there'll always be some smart kid who plays the trumpet at school who, can, who finds that they, um, that, that they blow the hunting horn rather well. Um, yeah. Last season, I was, we were having a rather uneventful day's woodland hunting. And I know that every huntsman should try to make every day as, as good as possible. Alicia, my wife, was uh, um, up with me uh, that day. And uh, shock horror, my mobile phone went off. And it was the school. Um, so as we were both there, um, and obviously they were trying to get hold of one of us, I thought that I ought to answer the call, and uh, not a lot else was going on, um, and gave my horn to my wife, and I said, just, just give the hounds a toot, um, whilst, whilst I took the call. Um, unfortunately, the resulting noise um, had me in stitches, and she was trying her best, and I suggested that really that, that she ought to stop, because people would think we've got the antis out. Um, if we if, if if she continued any further, um, but uh, yeah, I I I, th I think it's good to let um, other people um, have a go on the horn, not necessarily out hunting, just to see if they can uh, get a bit of a tone out of it. I think one thing to come out of it is that we're talking to people who are in the countryside, and I think it's it's the understanding of where the hunting horn sits with a huntsman. It's his left hand, it's his right hand, whichever hand he blows it in, but it's a vital part of the day. And I think also we, 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 I'd like to make the point that um, the hounds trust the hunting horn. They trust the sound of the horn, they trust their huntsman, and they, there is this invisible thread between the huntsman and the hounds, which can be linked by the sound of a horn, because the hounds will know what you want them to do if you blow the same thing all the time. But the fact that people who purport to be involved in animal welfare can actually use that sound to try and break that bond between the huntsman and his hounds and actually lure the hounds away from the huntsman into places where they can get into dangerous situations, I think for me is a pure disgrace. And I would just like to make the point that as a huntsman, a previous huntsman, I could never understand welfare is welfare. If you love animals and you respect hounds, dogs, whatever, you do not do things like that to take them away from a huntsman because they are such trusting, wonderful animals to work with. And I think anybody that does that ought to have a really good hard look in the mirror at themselves. Let's talk about the hounds for a second while we're on that subject and totally agree with that, Patrick. Um, can, I know, I mean, they just get naturally introduced to the hunting horn, but how do you want to, um, do you want to talk, Andrew, about how you introduce the hounds or how do they obviously learn from their, uh, their, the rest of the pack? Maybe it's something just to bring well, up. It, on, on the assumption that the puppy walker hasn't uh, taken the hounds hunting and, you, and used the, the, the hunting horn themselves, which you, which you can't bet against. And as a juvenile, um, I did that once or twice with other people's puppies. I do apologise to Michael Farron, Brian Fanshaw and uh, Robin Jackson at the time. Um, <laughs> but um, on hound exercise, the, the huntsman might occasionally um, uh, 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 blow the horn. Um, I don't until 
the, the last day when I might um, blow going back into kennels for the very last day of hound exercise. But hopefully nothing has gone wrong on hound exercise uh, through the summer that has um, um, needed a horn as such. And your hounds are with you, even if they are bowling down the road 100 meters in front, um, which, which we hope they, that, that they have the liberty to do so. Um, so there isn't the need necessarily to, to, to get them back quickly. But I suppose if you're stood in a field um, halfway around hound exercise and they're having a nice play, um, and you, you could touch the horn just just to bring them back up um, up together, but generally it, it, it's not really until the first day's hunting um, that that young hounds will hear the horn. And just like with all other um, uh, uh, parts of a, a young hound's education, um, part of it comes from copying their um, older uh, relations. Um, and uh, and reacting to certain calls in certain ways, and part of it um, would be um, uh, would be nature. We've got the nurture and, and the nature. Part of it would be instinctive. The fast calls mean action. The law, more drawn out calls mean um, uh, that the, the uh, uh, everything's coming to a conclusion. Um, so they and, and they do react to the horn, just like horses react to the horn. Um, horses that have never even been hunting. Um, that there's something deep down in their in their psyche. There's something deep down in their instinct um, that uh, the sound of the horn can uh, means uh, excitement. I can't quite explain that. It's interesting because we've um, over the last few weeks, of course, with the coronavirus, everybody's been out on a Thursday night clapping at eight o'clock to thank the NHS and the carers and. A lot of people in the countryside were expressing sort of ahead of that first week that there were concerns that being, you know, clapping in the countryside at kennels or in rural isolated spots wasn't going to um, make their voice heard. So we looked at ways of, you know, perhaps in getting other more people in rural spots involved. And a lot of people have been hollering, which has been a great uh, way of relieving stress for those who have been perhaps cooped up for a little bit too long and um, were quite relieved to have a good old holler. But there's been a lot of horn blowing around the countryside and um, in kennels we've heard hounds it's been quite a tonic to a lot of people who have perhaps not been able to um, get out in this time and they've been hearing hollers or horn blowing across the across the valleys in their homes and making everyone feel part of something and it's it is that very significant sound that um, you know it, it means so much to those people it's so it's instilled in so many of us that actually if you hear the hunting horn or you hear someone holler um they're very very um distinctive sounds in the countryside so i think it's been a great opportunity over the last few weeks and i expect you'll both be taking part again this thursday when um when we're out again to thank the nhs uh, absolutely with the uh backing choir of the hounds who immediately start singing which is lovely the horn obviously is a very important part of the orchestra and it has been thus for many, many centuries. Uh, many composers have used the horn to symbolize hunting. Many composers um, have wanted to include hunting in their music and uh, have uh, used the idiomatic uh, rhythms, the idiomatic uh, uh, melody shapes uh, that uh, hunting horns and hunting fanfares uh, provide. Uh, they sort of, the influence 
falls into two or three categories. Um, the first bit would be music that sounds like idiomatic horn music. Um, you could think of, uh, of uh, Haydn's 73rd Symphony called La Chasse. He didn't go out to write a piece of music about hunting, but it includes uh, horns and that, yeah, da, 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 that sort of motive. Um, so it, it, it ended up with the nickname uh, La Chasse. And the similarly, a cantata by Bach called The Hunt Cantata. It was written for a duke who liked hunting. So he included um, some uh, horns in it with those sort of motives. Um, the second category would be imitation. Um, um, Autumn from Vivaldi's Four Seasons, one of the most famous pieces of music ever written. Um, you really can hear the, the, the baying, the crying hounds uh, and, and the huntsman on his horn. Uh, Vivaldi also wrote a concerto called La Cacchia, uh, The Hunt. Uh, moving on into the, the Romantic period, the French composer Hector Berlioz wrote The Royal Hunt and Storms, The Royal Hunt and Storm, uh, which is often uh, performed as a separate orchestral piece from his opera uh, Les Troyennes. Um, that, that too um, charts the, the, the progress um, of, a, of a hunt. But more significantly, I think, um, in uh, several other works from the Romantic and the 20th century, uh, hunting provides the ritualistic backdrop, uh, the tapestry for a dramatic piece. So you get a, um, a sequence that is um, a hunting sequence which, which provides the, uh, the, the, the tapestry on which they put in the, the, the drama. Um, the, uh, the, the ritual in Gotterdämmerung, the fourth of Wagner's uh, uh, operas in the ring, um, is a good example, or Bert Whistle's grand opera, um, gone all around the world now, Gawain and the Green, and the Green Knight, where there's a, a wonderful uh, hunting sequence where Gawain hunts um, uh, first the stag, then the boar, then the fox, and this is an allegory for his seduction. Um, his three-time um, seduction um, of Morgana Le Fay. So the, the hunting uh, um, pr provides the, uh, provides the, as I say, the, the dramatic uh, backdrop. I've only ever used hunting in one composition. That was um, a work wrote for a, a festival in France called Actions Aria um, on the, uh, the, the, the classical uh, myth. Um, it didn't have a horn in it, um, but there were uh, um, several uh, uh, musical motifs that, that, that did symbolize uh, the chase and the, 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 famous, um, the famous story of Actium. My question is, what came first, your love of hunting or your love for music? Um, I, I'd say my love for, for hunting because I was brought up in a, a hunting family. But for me, um, the, the enjoyment that's, that I get from hunting is very similar to the enjoyments that I get from music. And that's the, the narrative um, of uh, a piece of music. It's, it's drama, it's pace, it's sequences. And that's very much um, the order of a day's hunting as well. A day's hunting should have a, begin, a beginning, a middle and an end. It should have uh, dynamics, it should have rhythm, it should have pacing. And, and if you can get all that right, and hopefully uh, not through uh, too, mu too much being contrived, but through uh, spontaneity um, in the hunting field, then, then, then you should have a, an exciting day's hunting. But a, um, a piece of music should have uh, a drama and a story, and so should uh, a decent day's hunting as well. You agree with that, Patrick? 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Very well put. Yeah. Never heard it put like that before, actually. But um, but but also the, the the relationship for me between hunting and music goes further um, in that um, you, you you have your you, the elements of, of of a piece of music, the the, the orchestra and the tableau of sounds and colours that that can create. Um, you, you, you've got the, the, uh, the, the terrain for a day's hunting, you've got the composer um, and the artists, you've got the, the, the hounds, the quarry, the trail, um, and the huntsman. You've got all these different uh, elements that, that have a, um, a relationship between each other that, that, that rubs, um, it has some friction, it goes off in different tangents, and and it's just as just the same for a, a, a decent piece of music as it should be for a, a, a day's hunting. People have this the misconception that um, Swain Aidney um, made hunting horns. The, the hunting horns were made by a firm called Kohler, who were founded in 1780, and um, eventually they moved around uh, various parts of London um, till February 1907, when Swain Aidney uh, bought the company. Um, but from 1907, the business of Kohler and Sons was transferred to Wayne Aidney, but Henry Keat and Sons made all the horns, both the coaching and hunting horns. And it's just interesting to know the volume of horns that used to be made by, by Keats in, from a place called Matthias Road. Uh, this is before uh, 1907. They, they, had, they made 50,000 army bugles, 15,000 cavalry trumpets, 25,000 horns for coaching, 25,000 bicycle bugles, and over 70,000 hunting horns. So there are a lot of horns out there. Um, Henry Keat uh, carried on supplying Swain Aney until in uh, 1998, um, Michael called Ian Compton, bought, bought the company and now he, he um, runs it from uh, Calcutts and Sons of Sutton Scotney where they also have a, they make new horns, they also have a repair service and engraving. But it's so interesting that, that after all the years that, that a, a firm like Henry Keat that's been making hunting horns for over 200 years has survived and there is still a call for them. The second-hand market is, is very strong. But again, you know, whatever, as I said earlier on, whatever suits you, there is a hunting horn out there for you, whether and it's a new one or a second-hand one. But always make sure that you try several before you buy them. But I think the skill of making a hunting horn and the sound that comes out of them is something that goes back a long way and thank goodness that there's still a firm actually making them to order and uh, where you can actually go and purchase one and long may it continue okay well uh, it just goes for me to say thank you very much both of you and um i look forward to seeing you out again hunting very soon